I didn't pick the Devo version of this song. <laughs> As you can tell, Felix is stuck in the past because he's always talking about fossil fuels. Uh, it's clean coal. Along, yeah, along the Cedar River south of Renton, the remains of a coal mining operation and the ghost town that was once a bustling home to the miners might contain the clues necessary to help solve a mystery related to one of the boys in the boat. Here's our resident historian, Felix Bedell. So this story has three specific elements I'd like to lay out in advance. You might want to take notes. It will be on the midterm. Um, next slide, please. Now, the first element is the Franklin Mine Disaster of August 1894. That's the second deadliest mine accident in Washington history. 37 men were killed. The worst was in Roslyn in 1892 with 45 killed. Now, the mine in Franklin Town Site is about three miles east of Black Diamond in South King County. The second element is the ghost town of Cedar Mountain, one of the many former mining towns in western Washington. The town site is about seven miles southeast of Renton on the Maple Valley Highway along the Cedar River. I'll get to the third and highly topical element, the boys in the boat connection, in just a moment. Now, I heard last week from Robin Adams. She's a local historian and blogger with a focus on South King County. We've shared her work a few times in the past uh, about the ruins of the old Long Acres horse racing track, about the ghost town of Easy and an old powder house there along the railroad tracks near Enumclaw. Robin told me that back in the 1890s, a man named John Morris lived near Cedar Mountain. I had never heard of Cedar Mountain before, but Robin told me there was a coal mine and a mining town there from the 1880s to about the 1920s or so. Now, if you know the Maple Valley Highway, this is just south of the bridge at the Jones Road or 196 there near a small King County Park called Belmondo Reach. John Morris was one of 37 men who died in the explosion and fire at the mine in Franklin. When the bodies of victims were recovered from the mine, they buried some at Franklin, some at Black Diamond, and some at Renton, but not John Morris. They took a train from Franklin and they brought the bodies slowly, made stops all along the way to all these places. And I have a Seattle PI article that says point blank that he was taken to Cedar Mountain to be buried and his wife, by the way, was pregnant. Now, so John Morris was the only Franklin victim to be buried at Cedar Mountain, but where exactly is the mystery? Robin Adams says no one's really sure whether or not there was a cemetery in Cedar Mountain back then and he was buried in town, or if John Morris was buried on his homestead across the river and north of town, a mile up a pretty steep hill near what's now the neighborhood around Lake Kathleen. Now, all of this is plenty interesting on its own, a victim of an infamous disaster whose rural gravesite is now lost somewhere in what's become suburbs. I had to see for myself, so I met up with Robin at Belmondo Reach. This is near the old Cedar Mountain town site. She told me one more fact that makes a search for John Morris's grave even more even more interesting. He had three children. He had two sons and a daughter. His son, Herbert, had a son named Herbert Roger, who became went by Roger Morris, who was a boy in the boat. If you look at the picture, he's the one wearing the light-colored trunks. Yeah, and sure enough, in that famous wow. pic of the shirtless rowers standing there holding their oars, the guy on the far left is the only one wearing light-colored trunks, and that's Roger Morris, who, who passed away in 2009 at age 94 and whose grandfather is buried somewhere at Cedar Mountain. The Seattle PI called him the last surviving link to one of Seattle's greatest sports achievements. Now, from the parking area at Belmondo Reach, if you walk in pretty much any direction, you start coming across relics, literally tripping over these big artifacts left over from the Cedar Mountain mine. The concrete foundation of an old scale house. A big concrete pad with rusty old steel fittings that might be uh, for guy wires from an old bridge or part of the water system. This massive concrete structure that was for the mine hoist. The Cedar River there is beautiful too. Now, I love this kind of thing. You look at a patch of classic northwest vegetation, you know, the fir trees and cedar with moss, blackberry bushes and mud, and then your eyes are drawn to some big piece of heavy, unexplained evidence of previous human folly. I think that's not an uncommon thing around here, pretty much anywhere you park. Now, Robin Adams is clearly jazzed about this stuff. I asked her just why it's so important. I keep saying this on all my articles. 
Time makes things disappear, make a road disappear, makes a town disappear, makes a mine disappear. It's just, it's gone, and we forget about it. And Cedar Mountain's one of the worst. It's not taken care of by Renton, not taken care of by Maple Valley, so nobody seems to have really a grip on it. And here we have this memory. There's some memory there. You can hear the rain uh, landing on the blackberry leaves there in the tape. Now, part of the memory there is the printed record, and thanks to Robin, the mystery has a lot of documentation. She's been combing through local archives. She's collected a bunch of maps and photos and diagrams and these timber cruising surveys from 100 years ago. She's also in close touch with King County, with history museums in Renton and Black Diamond. Turns out the Black Diamond Museum folks have been searching for John Morris's grave, too. And she also reached out to the family of John Morris. Well, we talked to to the great-grandson, and he was kind of interested, but I think they've just kind of given up on that part. Because I think they tried, two ladies showed up at Black Diamond decades ago, asking, do you know where it's at? They said that the family lore is we used to walk uphill. Even uh, Black Diamond doesn't know, and they've had extensive records. So, and I, my friend Dow, who belongs to, you know, is a volunteer, he's even been digging in the records. He can't find it, anything there either. In case you didn't catch that, two ladies from the Morris family came to the Black Diamond Museum back in the 60s, and they said family lore was that the grave was uphill from the town site. So maybe that means it's still up there in that neighborhood that sprouted up around Lake Kathleen. Now, Robin Adams says the next step is trying to figure out if there were other deaths in Cedar Mountain that might have meant a cemetery being there, or maybe just following the mystery uphill to Lake Kathleen. So we're going to have to figure out, is there more is there more deaths? Cut down the area, do a little more search ourselves. But then it could just turn out to be canvassing neighborhoods. Flyers, postcards. You know, when the mystery solved, I'm going to write the screenplay. George Clooney's going to direct, and we'll play me in the film. Um, there's also, mm-hmm. the, I have an eight, 1889 photo of Cedar Mountain on my Facebook page. We'll have the full story later at My Northwest. I want to thank my pal Lee Corbin for some extra research assistance with this really cool mystery. Yeah, another history mystery. Thank you, Felix Pinnell. <laughs> All at MyNorthwest.com. 637 Seattle's Morning News. A frightening scene in Ecuador's largest city of Guayaquil yesterday as gunmen wearing masks stormed a television station, taking anchors and staff hostage, claiming they had bombs, exchanging gunfire with the police as the cameras rolled before the intruders were finally subdued and arrested. Nobody killed. This came as the whole country of Ecuador descended into chaos this week with a powerful gang leader disappearing from prison, uprisings breaking out in several prisons, and inmates being kidnapped and threatening guards, kidnapping and threatening guards. As a result, the president of Ecuador declared a state of emergency, claiming the country was entering an internal armed conflict, which sounds like the beginning of a civil war. For details on this, I called up our specialist on Latin America, Stephen Murphy, author of Brazilian Odyssey and other books about Latin America, and asked him to explain what led to this. Generally, when uh, the civil authorities in Ecuador uh, lose the trust of the people and also don't have meaningful law and order in the vacuum the the narco gangs take hold and in the last five years this little ecuador that used to be the most peaceful country in south america and sandwiched in between colombia and uh, peru has become a center for outgoing drug flow and when there's drugs and money and lack of civil authority then there's a lot of bad stuff that can happen. And that's very unfortunate because, as I said, it used to be a very tranquil country. I visited there, and a lot of Americans retired actually in Cuenca up until the recent troubles in the last three years or so. And I was reading that some of the prisons are actually run by the, the gangs that are in prison there. 
Yes, they have their their own uh, gangs and their own prison control. And it's like what happens, in a sense, up in El Salvador in Central America when a similar situation happened and the central government didn't, uh, you know, didn't do much with the gangs, just tried to avoid them. But you just can't turn a blind eye to the gangs because they will keep on pushing and it's only because of the El Salvador's president today that really is forcing a law and order and taking extra military actions against the gangs that there's more semblance of social tranquility. But in Ecuador, unfortunately, it's on the wrong side of that uh, equation. Now, fortunately, in the Ecuador situation, nobody was killed. There is a report that all the masked intruders were arrested, all 13 of them. They'll be charged with terrorism, but still uh, pretty disconcerting. Now, the other question is, is this one of the reasons for all the traffic at our southern border? No, I mean, the the Mexican uh, narco gangs are certainly one of the most powerful groups in south of the border, and, and uh, they run the the coyotes that send uh, people through Central America and up through Mexico, and also the drugs and the fentanyl, especially that they manufacture there with Chinese input. But the Ecuador is is more connected with the Colombian and the Peruvian gangs and some Brazilian uh, narco groups. And um, to the best of my knowledge, they're not too involved in the trafficking of people. Although there are Ecuadorians that are also crossing the Isthmus of Panama and going up through Central America and Mexico to cross the border. Latin American expert Stephen Murphy. Stephen, thank you very much. Buenas noches. Ciao. The next hour, Chris will have the latest on Washington State Patrol response to the criticism over their handling of the I-5 blockage last weekend. Let's hear from a rising star in Seattle's music scene. You may have heard him play the national anthem during last week's NHL Winter Classic game between the Kraken and the Vegas Golden Knights. 14-year-old Nikhil Baga delivered this rendition. A little bit of Jimi Hendrix there, right? It was, uh, I think it's fair to say, an electrifying performance from a pretty big crowd. But the bright lights were not too much for Nickel, who joined us in the studio yesterday. Charismatic, cultured young man, inspired by Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, B.B. King. He had told us how he got the opportunity to play at that game. I sent them an email originally, and that was not for this game. But then I got to play for the Kraken's Kids game. Um, and then eventually they had me back, and I played the Canadian and the American for the Kraken's Leafs game. And I was born in Toronto, so uh-huh. it was a really special like opportunity, like growing up as a Leaf fan. And yeah, and people saw me there, and they decided to have me back for the Winter Classic. So, huh. how did you get noticed at, at first? I mean, because here you are practicing in your bedroom, I assume. Uh, how did you come to the attention of people who could put you on a big stage? I've been. Um, busking busking in pike place market how do you where uh pike place market because i know but i go down there all the time oh, so yeah. i know where uh, i know where johnny Hahn is on the piano where where's your spot so sometimes uh they'll have me on the like sometimes i'll have like a truck up and i'll i'll play there and then uh-huh. just um 
near the Starbucks sometimes. Okay. You know? Right in the main so, spot. Good what, spot, yeah. Yeah, what does somebody, somebody like you make busking at Pike Place? Come on. I don't even know. You don't count the money? <laughs> no. Come on. Money's not even the important part. What are you saving up? You must be saving up for a different guitar or something like that. An amp, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Nickel told us he writes all his own music, including songs about his family. This uh, one that he played for us is titled Never Meant It. The song we were told was about a party that happened and he didn't get invited. He was not invited, but they played his song there. So eh, what's the deal there? I, I still can't get over his voice when he, you know, when he started to see that raspiness yeah. and, and just the, the soul coming from him, the real feeling in his lyrics. What a what a kid. We're going to see him a long time from now. Famous. We uh, put the entire interview up on our page at MyNorthwest.com so uh, so you can hear more. I asked him if he was going out for The Voice. He said he hadn't considered that yet. So. Mm, keeping his <laughs> options open. Yeah. Exactly. The State Patrol is pushing back at critics who say five hours was too long in terms of clearing those protesters from I-5 over the weekend. Let's go back to Chris Sullivan. Uh, so tell us where this stands. Well, and again, to say that they're uh, firing back at the length, uh, they're like, yeah, we get it. It was long, but uh, here's why. Uh, so, you know, because I've been thinking that too. It seems like an awfully long time as it was going on. Uh, but the question is... Okay, were they prepared? And when it started happening, were they kind of caught off guard? And it turns out they were really kind of caught off guard primarily by the tactics that were involved here because there were some unsubstantiated rumors out there that a group was going to take over I-5 at some point during the day, but they could never verify that and or figure out where exactly they were. So they kind of mobilized their ramp response and closure plan just in case. But there was the way that the protesters did it that really caught them. They used their cars as a blockade and then flooded the lanes with people who cut through freeway fencing all in one spot. So here's the state patrol's Chris Loftus. Protesters in this case came uh, highly coordinated, uh, highly uh, mobilized, highly motivated in large numbers. Uh, They used the sleeping dragon uh, device, which we have seen in other protests. 
that we've not seen on the highways before or the freeways before. So for those that don't know the sleeping dragon technique, that's where the people tie their arms together inside pipes, pipes which yeah. then make it incredibly difficult to remove them because if you were to cut through them, you would basically cut through somebody's arm. Uh, so that makes it very difficult. What do they so, use to tie their hands together? Well, basically, sometimes they tape, sometimes they oh. just, you know, they, you know, they bind themselves inside. So it's uh, pretty hard to get after them. And Loftus says other protesters, you know, use their cars to block the freeway, then abandon them in the way they situated them. There was not very well, an easy way to get around. More than 500 people were also involved with this. Now, the plan was to arrest the eight people in that sleeping dragon and take them to the King County Jail. The rest were going to be transported to a nearby uh, Seattle police precinct. But a mass arrest of this scale doesn't happen quickly, and the jail didn't have any room for anybody. And Loftus says... Out of all of these things, what he wants everybody to remember is that safety is the only goal. For those people who are saying, gosh, this took too long, yes, uh, it, it took a long time. But we did it, and we did it safely. We're always going to do it, and we're always going to do it safely. And troopers are not just going to start cracking heads like we used to in the old days. The days of water cannons and dogs, which the state patrol was hearing about, which we saw on our text line yeah. yesterday. They're like, we're not going back there. We just aren't going to go in and act recklessly and and exacerbate a problem by not thinking through the possible ramifications. Because not only does their concern for safety extend to the people stuck, but and their officers and the first responders and the troopers, but to the people protesting, right? So everybody's safety is concerned here. But the state patrol still considers these actions illegal and dangerous. We think this is very wrong. This is illegal. This is dangerous. And this is just stupid. This is just a stupid thing to do. And Loftus says the agency doesn't just allow protesters to do what they want. Even those are constitutionally protected rights. There are boundaries to those rights. And illegal and dangerous behavior is the boundary to those rights. You you. you you lose that right when you do something that's going to harm others. And they said they will, will always arrest if they can, if they and if it makes sense. Uh, but they're going to do it safely. Now, of course, out of this, there were some reports that uh, Seattle, Seattle Mayor Harrell and Governor Inslee told the agency to stand down. You know, let the protesters do what they want. And Loftus says that just didn't happen. It is not fact. It is not truth. It is not policy. It is not practice. It is noise. And Loftus says the state patrol doesn't care about your politics or the politics of those protesting and breaking the law. We don't care about your cause. We don't care if it's from the right or from the left. We don't care how passionate you are. We care about your safety. We care about the traveling public safety. We care about our law enforcement first responder safety. And while there were no arrests on Saturday, Loftus says arrests and charges could still be coming for those involved. Investigators have plenty of evidence. Uh, they're putting that all together. They've got plenty of video. There are plenty of people who posted this stuff online as they were doing it. So there are still potential ramifications. Uh, I know that's not a satisfactory answer, and the State Patrol knows that's not a satisfactory answer. But they're not just going to come in there and just roll people uh, you know, like we saw during the WTO. It's, it's just not going to happen. Well, I look at this, and it's, it's getting a little bit too serious uh, for me. When you organize a rolling blockade like that, shut down the freeway, and at the same time, coordinated, you cut the fence and swarm the freeway, that's not a protest. That's an attack. Mm -hmm. And that's something that an enemy would do. That's, that goes way beyond a protest. And unless there are serious consequences, by which I mean convictions that go beyond just uh, blocking a freeway. I mean, you're blocking ambulances. You're blocking people from getting to work. You're also... Sending a message that, hey, if you can do this in one spot, 
You could do it in two spots simultaneously. Well, and these were done around the nation, too. Right. We saw them in New York. We saw them in major cities. You could shut down an entire city. Oh, yeah, easily. And that's, uh, I don't know how you can tolerate that. And I I asked uh, Loftus from the state patrols, like, hey, what if someone in that ambulance behind had had a negative medical reaction? They died. And they're like, you know what? Those people who they could be prosecuted for that death in Mm -hmm. some way, shape, or form. Another component to this that I forgot to put in there is they were also concerned because they abandoned those vehicles. You know, maybe they, you know, put a bomb or something like this. So they exactly. had to call in the bomb sniffing folks and clear every single one of those vehicles. Now imagine they do that under the convention center, mm. you know, where there's a little bit more, you know, risk. So they that also added to the contributing to this. So they, they were very careful and they weren't about to speed up, yeah. even though they know it inconvenienced everybody so much. Well... I guess we'll see just uh, who gets prosecuted and who gets let off. And we appreciate the transparency from the state patrol, yeah. too. Yeah. They've, they've sent out a press release. Now they've given you an interview. Like, they're really trying to work with the public. And on they know it wasn't this. satisfactory. Yeah. It wasn't satisfactory for them either. So, but yeah, that's what we're left with. Your daily dose of kindness is brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. From the rough streets to a recording studio, CBS's Steve Hartman has the story of a singer who got a chance to shine. In downtown Boston, hope was fading for Ara Bolster. She'd been homeless for more than two years after a string of unfortunate events and abusive relationships. I'd been in tears, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, God, when is the tide going to turn? And that's when this guy walks in your life? Yeah. Ara says she'd been singing on the street, which she does on occasion, when a stranger came up to her. His name is Matt Shearer. He's a radio news reporter. Matt was out covering something else that day, but he sensed a better story in her. Can I sit with you and chat? Absolutely. And that's when Ara told him about her most prized possession. I have a song. And I wrote it here on the streets. The lyrics were written on a piece of cardboard she'd been using as a mattress. The melody, only in her mind. But Ara felt so strongly about this song, she told Matt her only wish in life was to share it with the world. And when Matt heard that... I thought, well, I've got connections. I know people. And so, a few days later... Come with me. I said, hey, I have a surprise for you. Let's go. Here you go. Got her in the car, and I told her where we were headed, and she was so happy. I'm taking you to a recording studio. Are you serious? Yeah. No! I'm serious. No! Matt found an engineer and a producer, (laughs) and what they all heard... Oh, I was blown away. The lyrics were powerful. How love can be both toxic and intoxicating. Ara has now uploaded her song to the online music platform Bandcamp, netting nearly $5,000 in downloads. Look at this. But as much as she needs that money, <laughs> she says Matt matters more. He's everything to me right now that I don't have, and he's, he's a hero. That is Steve Hartman reporting. And joining us from the Generous Show, which starts at 9, here is G. Scott. Good morning, my friends. Get enough water in you, Colleen? Yeah. 
Just want to yeah. make sure. <laughs> Got to stay hydrated, my friend. Got my half gallon here. Two of these a day, and I'm good. Uh, let, let, let my man Sully know that uh, In-N-Out is overrated. But go ahead. Mm. Let's get to oh, is that over. right? Yeah, I was absolutely. asking about that earlier. Uh, absolutely. But I should try it, right? Because it's kind of sure. one of those things. Yeah. It's like pop culture. Sure. All right. So in your capacity as an athlete, yeah. um, what do you think about Phil Fortunato's bill to create basically five classifications of athletes to prevent this uh, phenomenon of biological men competing against biological women. Wait to wait to keep okay, okay. Got you. So I wanna take you back to what I first thought about these things at first. About three years ago, twenty twenty ish or four years ago, whatever, when this topic could come up, Colleen, I was totally against any, anything different. So, for example, I wanted biological males to go against biological males and biological um, females to go against biological females. And the reason? Ignorance. Okay. <laughs> just, no, just, just, you wanted people just, in boxes, just, and yeah, that was the easiest just, way just to do it. the easiest it. way. Yeah. Like, you know, if you identify as something, no, you can't do it. Okay. Right? So I want to put that out there. After a while, I got to saying to myself... It is no different because I don't understand this. I never grew up uh, identifying. I, and when I, when I played sports, I never had a child or heard of a child coming to an, a, a team and maybe being biologically born this way, but identifying this way and wanting to be on a team. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that. As a father with kids in sports, I also never seen it. I've never had friends that's ever seen it. So I've never had an understanding. With that being said, I have also have to understand I needed to have more empathy. I needed to have more uh, inclusivity, more about these topics. So when it comes to this, I'm against that because I don't think it's this whole phenomenon like people think. I don't think kids identifying with a certain gender are just showing up at droves at Little yeah. League to try to jump on the team. It's a right? red herring Mo- to say that like, athletes are trying to gain an advantage by changing their biological sex. Right. Form. That's, that's, it's, it's not happening. Most of the time when people talk about it, they don't say, hey, Larry, so I was at the Little League meeting and a parent showed up and this happened. No. It's usually I read or I saw is so minute that it doesn't happen but there are female athletes who've complained about this right yeah oh yeah oh yeah yes no 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 i'm not saying that there isn't complaints about that right like there were complaints you know 80 years ago about i can't believe that black people really want to come and play with white people in sports but to this issue now so how do you deal with those female athletes who think that it's unfair for a biological man to be in competing with them i don't i don't I can't. I don't have it over it. No, 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 no. no. How many are complaining? Right. A couple? No, no, Dave. Who are we listening to about this? Are we listening to those impacted or the two complaining? I want to tell you that, no, I'm not telling folks to get over it. I'm saying to you is that this is a topic that I don't have enough um, understanding of Mm -hmm. to be able to fight that fight. But I have enough empathy to check myself to be more empathetic to those and understand what this will do to the self-esteem and the confidence and the happiness of the young men and women, whoever and whatever it is that you 
and who you ever you identify with. I don't understand it, but I can have empathy towards it, if that makes sense. It so, does. no, I'm not going to say get over it. We, uh, nobody wants to be unempathetic, but there is a problem which has been raised basically by female athletes who feel that in who, some cases... Though? I haven't heard this. Well, National you, champion Riley Gaines, for yeah. instance, uh, who she was forced to compete against a biological male... In what sport? In swimming. Okay. NCAA okay. national championship. Okay. Uh, this guy was a, a, a really bad swimmer as a man, as a woman, and he... Okay. She ended up winning the national, you know, so that that's one. Two, it's happened uh, in wrestling in some instances okay. uh, where the people are complaining. And what's happening is a lot of parents now are complaining that now that their women's sports are now losing the opportunity for scholarships and things that are now being taken by biological men. Are they? Uh, oh, yes. That's two instances? Okay. Yeah, that's, there's, no, that's not, so that's two. two. That's two that I just of, have off, offhand. Okay. If you do a lot of research on it, it's happening more often than just a, oh, it's not happening. I, I, you just I, have to do it. There's know. some research on it. There's 378 million people in the country. <laughs> is it happening by the uh, hundred thousands? No. Probably not. No, no, no. no but no, it's no. happening. But, it, but, so. it, but it's happening. Why but, are we okay with the battle of the sexes tennis game, but when it comes to sexes competing in the same sport, no, suddenly we want to put them in chromosomal categories? Probably it's for bizarre. fairness. Yeah. It's bizarre. Fine with me. It would be fairness. <laughs> it's is pretty it? much. Yeah, because totally. battle of the sexes is all about men and women competing together. All genders compete. And we love that. We cheer it on. We go, yeah, yeah let's see who's better. Told y'all, just to trying be to understand. And in Olympia, the legislative session is underway. And you're going to be hearing a lot from this next gentleman. He's Cairo News Radio's Matt Markovich, who will be covering the legislative session over the next two months. So, uh, Matt, what are going to be the hot topics this year? Besides well, uh, preventing uh, childhood marriage. Yeah, well, that was one we've been already talking. That's when they just passed that one. That was really quick out of the gate for the House. Yes, it's going to be uh, good morning, Dave and Colleen. It's going to be, uh, for us policy nerds, a great two months here. Uh, we're going to be covering the legislation. It's a short, short session, 60 days, not the 105 days. So they're not going to be doing the heavy budget lifting, spending a lot of money, but they will be spending a lot. And I want to keep, for those of uh, you know your pointers for the legislative session. Democrats are in control, both the House and the Senate, and the governor's mansion. So you—that's a very important thing to always remember when we talk about all these bills. And this year, they're not really talking about really big bills that require a two-thirds majority vote. There's some talk about a, a constitutional amendment regarding abortion protections this short session, but whether that's really going to happen, it's unlikely. And of course, we're going to cover the big issues like what is the official state clam and what is the official yes. state stone i'm surprised we haven't had either of those yet well actually there's a uh, it's a great story I, i'm gonna working on right now the state stone has some controversy in it between hmm. two mayors two feuding mayors of two different cities but the really the big issues is this legislative session is how to spend all the extra money the state has brought in since the beginning of 2023. Now, the state has got an extra $1.2 billion in extra revenue from tax and from property taxes. Mm -hmm. It's also got $900 million in the new capital gains tax. And that's a lot going to education right there. But it's that Climate Commitment Act that we've been talking about, that extra $1 billion on top of the $1.8 billion the state has already received from this pollution tax on oil and gas polluters. Um, 
so the big, I think, the big, big topic is how we're going to spend this extra CCA money uh, this legislative session. Now, the governor has a plan to spend $940 million of all that uh, and on a variety of things. And the big chunk there is that idea of giving money back to the uh, taxpayer. Oh. So his plan is a $200 million utility rebate for 2 million low-income families. Well, like Bob but, Ferguson's uh, tuna fish checks. Oh, well, you know, that's his own thing. You know, he's going to have, he's, (laughs) don't get me started on that. (laughs) All right. Continue as you were then. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's a settlement money, Uh, but it's not tax money. Uh, Now, the Republican State Senator Linda Wilson, Vancouver, has other ideas for all that climate commitment money. I would certainly encourage more of that climate commitment money going back to the people. And that's what Republicans want, including Republican House leader Drew Stokesbury. He's a leader now in the House. He has a Republican plan for that money. And thanks to the Climate Commitment Act, Washington drivers now pay the third highest gas price of any state in the country. So Representative Connors has a bill that would provide some of the uh, CCA surplus revenue uh, as rebates to Washington drivers to offset the high price of gas they paid last year. Now, Republicans introduced a bill, and they want to give that extra money, $1.3 billion, back to registered car owners. Everyone, everybody has a registered car in the state could get a check in the form of $180 because of those high gas prices. But yesterday, and this is the important development in the story, yesterday, the Democratic majority leader in the House, Joe Fitzgibbons of Seattle, and again, the Democrats control everything, he says his caucus doesn't like that idea. I do think that probably less interest from us in uh, rebates to wealthy people. So you probably wouldn't see us support just a a flat uh, rebate to all car owners. Make it it income sensitive then, huh? Well, it's always been income sensitive. uh, But, you know, basically they're going to give the whole chunk of money back to the car owners. And I think everybody who drives a car has been paying these high gas prices, which allegedly are attributed to the Climate Commitment Act. Um, They would love to get a $180 check. But Mm -hmm. with Joe Fitzgibbon saying his caucus says doesn't like the idea, basically that whole idea is dead on arrival. That's how you read in the the tea leaves on what he's saying. Okay, what about uh, Senator Phil Fortunato's chromosome bill? Yeah, and I heard you talking about that with G a little bit earlier ago. And then this is a unique idea from a, let's call it a very unique state senator. Republican state senator from Auburn, Phil Fortunato, who comes up with some odd bills. And you can say, put this one in that category. It would create four separate categories for sports for high school and college student athletes in the state. Now, when I talked to Fortunato about this, he told me it was all about fairness. Uh, The bill is about transgender sports. What it's about is uh, fairness in sports. And right now we have, you have a lot of women complaining that men that identify as women are competing against them in sports and giving them an unfair advantage. So what the bill does is seek to, in a non-discriminatory way, allocate fairness in sports. All right, now it's the biological lesson, Dave. Uh, Here's a biological fact you have to keep in mind as we talk about this bill. Biological women are born with a double X chromosome, and biological men are born with an XY chromosome. So with that in mind, here's how Fortunato says this bill will work. If you have an XX chromosome and you identify as a woman, you then compete against other people that have an XX chromosome and identify as a woman. If you are an XY and you identify as a woman, then you would then compete against other 
people that have an XY chromosome that identify as a woman and so on. So now you would in effect have four categories for sports instead of two. So do you get that? XX yes. women would compete against XX women and XX women who identify as a man would compete against XS women who identify as a man. And right. then the same with XY men and XY men who identify as a woman. So essentially you have four categories. And now if you, I asked him, what if you don't identify as anything like a non-binary? Fortunato says that would be a fifth category. So five and categories. Dave, I, I, yeah. yeah. And I, I just want to share this last thing with, with you about, because how, my exchange with him, I think it's really interesting. Um, just listen to what he, how he phrases all this. It's simple, but there's some novelty to it, and then there's also some. Really, is he really proposing this? Well, yeah, but look at the uh, look at the other side of that. Are you really actually proposing that you're going to let men compete against women fairly? This also would help solve the bathroom issue. Since you brought that up, how would this solve the bathroom issue? If you are a XY and you identify as an X, as a woman, you would then have a separate time that you could take a shower. You would not be taking a shower with other X, X's that identify as women. You would be taking a shower with other XY's that identify as women. You get all okay. that, Dave? Yeah, no, I, I got it. So uh, this is about the showers. Uh, I mean, Colleen is saying that uh, why don't we just forget these various categories and just let everybody compete in, in one division? And I don't think it, I said that, but you can propose it if you'd like. Well, all right. I mean, and, and, if, and if it turns out that in some divisions, you know, you got 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A. If it turns out in some divisions, all the winners are of one certain sex category. Okay, so what? I mean, you can have just as much fun as long as people are of similar skill levels, can't you? Yeah. You know, the one thing I didn't talk about this bill is that you know, the back end of it, there's a lot of legalese that allows a person to uh, sue a right. school district. That's the enforcement mechanism. If yeah. Yeah. There's there's some parts in there. So I think he's basically trying to set up this idea, whether it's going to happen or not. It's I think not it's not going unlikely. anywhere with the Democrats controlling Olympia. Yeah. yeah I mean, again, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah we Republican. just gave him so much airtime today and it's not going anywhere. Well, you know, and but we're talking about it. Flamed the, the, the hatred towards trans people. Well, it's a talky one, and that's why I brought yeah. it up. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Matt. Matt Markovich will be covering our legislative session. And that's Mickey time. She's going to explain to us the appeal of the Stanley. Well, we can't call it the Stanley Cup because it's not made of silver. So it's called the Stanley Tumbler, and yeah. you put you put liquids in it, and it's insulated. And, mm -hmm. it, and even though it's, it's the size. I've never owned one. Oh, wait, no, I do have a Stanley. You do have a Stanley. What it's are you talking a about? Stanley. Yes. But it's not the. That's the Stanley Tumbler. No, 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 no. It's yeah. a Stanley Tumbler, and it's huge. So well, it's like, what, 100 ounces? A, no, mine's a half gallon. Uh, oh, and, uh, okay. But the Stanley we're talking about, that one has that narrow bottom everyone loves that can fit yes. in your cup holder. Right. It's got a straw and all that. Exactly. Well, David Burr. Bank, our producer, mm -hmm. bought one for his wife this Christmas. <gasps> yeah, he did. Damn. Yeah, it was a whole thing because... Uh, We're paying you that much? <laughs> I know, right? I did. I had, to, oh, yeah. no. I had to take out a large loan for it. No, uh, <laughs> what's crazy is I went onto the website. I thought, oh, I'm going to get... I'm not going to go to the store, be the dummy, and go to the store and see that they're all sold out. I'm going to go to the website, mm -hmm. you know, get all the selection. Went to the website, and none of the, like, best-designed ones, because my wife, you know, wants the cool design You had to, go, cool to, you had to go to one. Etsy, because that's where my wife ah, went because my I got a stocking stuff for Stanley as well. Well, I'll have to get her another Stanley one. I got her one that that will work for now, yeah. but of mm -hmm. course she wants she wants more. You have of a whole them. lifetime it's, ahead of you to spoil your wife. 
Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. More a, gift ideas yeah, for, for each tumbler. year. But yeah, she loves them. We've we've been using these uh the sort of dupes is what they will call it. Yeah. Uh, from a Target brand actually <laughs> that work pretty well, but nothing stands up to the actual Stanley one, as I'm sure Mickey will say. Yeah. Well, what really popular popularized the tumbler was when one survived a car fire. That's and right. That's the, right. right. And the Daily Mail made a TikTok about it and it got like 2.7 million views. This is the incredible moment. A Stanley Cup seems to have not only survived a car fire, but also still had ice left inside. It still has ice in it. True. Yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah. And the car is just literally destroyed. Wow. And then you just see the Stanley. Right? And the straw survives, too. Yeah. What is that straw made and of? Stanley gave her some, right? Yeah. They saw the yeah. story and they, yeah, yep, yep, that yep. was cute. Well, Good listen, they service. dropped a limited edition color at a major retailer on New Year's Eve. And then stores across the nation just began selling out. In fact, um, the coveted uh, Tumblr was found on eBay, and I even looked it up. They're originally $45. You can get them upwards of 100 to $200. <laughs> and and then, this is like their Valentine's Day edition? Is right, that what I'm understanding? Pink, yes. And then guys are making videos. They're standing in line for hours to get the pink coveted tumbler, right? Well, Vincent Marcus and his daughter stayed the night at the store to ensure that they got theirs. He made a video about it six days ago on social media, and it was shared almost 20,000 times, and it's already had over half a million views. We spent the night at Target for the new Stanley Starbucks cup. Night? Yes, I know what yep. you're thinking. It's a cup. Why? What are you doing? On the other hand, I love my daughter and we were bored. <laughs> so we got there like at 1.40 in the morning and it was a ghost town because it was Target in the middle of the night. But once we saw the cup, we knew we were in the right spot. Yeah. Did you ever do this for your daughter's day for like the Cabbage no. Patch Kids or anything <laughs> no. like that? You've never knocked anyone out for a prized mm. toy? My, no. My mom allowed me to stand in line for Bon Jovi tickets back in 1987 because well, I wanted to see Bon Jovi. for that, right? I mean, yeah, you had to have a wristband in order to get the tickets. And I remember hearing it on the radio like, they've just released the wristbands. Oh and I told gosh. mom, detour. And she dropped me off and she went to How work. How can you hydrate yourself with Bon Jovi tickets? Well, I, I, well listen, all the sweat. <laughs> the priorities are different. But, but yeah, things. priorities are different. But yeah, that that is why. And people, it's so funny because now they've got uh, posts on like Facebook and, and everywhere on IG, you're seeing it. You may see it today now um, where people are saying marked safe from the Stanley <laughs> Tumblr craze. My favorite thing about this entire, because we all have our water bottles now, mm-hmm. right? And we, yeah. we mark them up with our stickers. I haven't put any on mine yet, but Sully, you've got your water yeah. bottle you bring every day. You oh, have yeah. stickers. It, are the videos online now of like partners making fun of their partners? Mm-hmm. Like they'll they'll take a trash can, an empty trash can and put a handle on yes. it and walk in like they're their wife with their big Stanley. I saw the video. Yes. Not, like people always comment on my half gallon Stanley. They're like, oh, you're gonna, you're, you know, nothing clever. It but, looks like a rain barrel, yeah. Colleen. Well, it looks, you know, it I looks like, like a weapon, honestly. Like my hydration, but I just, to me, it's it's just one of those fun coming together, let's make fun of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're doing is healthy. Carrying around water Absolutely. bottles with water, I mean. Well, one major retailer has a dupe version of the tumbler and it went on sale for like $6.99. What? And then they sold out and Ooh. people were fighting and arguing about it. Um, I can't remember the name of the store, but might I have did Dick's see it. Might have, yeah, I think yeah. might, might have been Dick's. And so people were just rushing to go get the dupe for six ninety nine because it looked yeah. exactly the same. And it probably does 
the same thing. Let's just talk to our kids, though, about because I've heard of some like bullying happen at school because the kids don't have the Stanley. They've got the dupe. And if like that's going to be something kids are going to start making others feel bad about. Let's make sure we don't take this adult phrase. I think the are pretty cool, and, though. Yeah. Like, let's, let's Is this talk a about new that. Michael Jordan phase from the late 80s and 90s? Really? People are attacking each other for shoes? You have yeah. to have yeah. the name brand uh, Tumblr. Wow. I'll take the $6.99. Thank you. Me too. (laughs) Anything that doesn't spill and fits in my cup holder. Yes. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.